I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood. But I was—I said I was gonna stop saying that, right? Okay, scratch that. Recorded in downtown Baltimore. Anyway, this week I watched The Invitation on Netflix, so I'm gonna talk about it. But first, I have been. I, I've just been traveling and enjoying being around family and friends and things like that. So I just want to say happy Kwanzaa to all those who celebrate. I know that it was created as a non-religious holiday, but I don't know a single Christian who, a black Christian who do not celebrate Kwanzaa because at the end of the day, it's about reclamation of our black heritage. And again, I would be hard pressed to find a predominantly black church, specifically, actually predominantly black church, no matter the denomination, um, that did not have their clergy in kente cloth, have their people, have days where their people show up in kente cloth as a way to honor our cultural history, specifically our cultural part past that we were removed from. And if that is not born out of the spirit of why Kwanzaa was created, I don't know what it is. We are the seekers in our community because we were separated and we've been forever seekers. And we've, unfortunately for a lot of us, we've, we've gone astray and, and cre- adopted some pretty wild practices as a way to assimilate more and to distance ourselves further from, um, you know, one culture to the next. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be living in this space where even some of my relatives who I thought were the height of assimilation are more embracing um, getting to know through DNA tests and geneal- genealogical searches our roots on the African continent. And my roots, my family's roots in particular, I think I've shared this before, but my family's roots in particular um, are deep because and run, they're varied, honestly, because I tell you, my mama's side of the family is Wichita, Kansas. If you watch that episode or you listen to that episode, you'll know all about that um, background. Um, but my daddy's side of the family is um, from Louisiana and northern Louisiana. But nevertheless, that's where um, hubby and I were um, over the for Christmas. That's where hubby and I were. Um, but. You know how DNA is funny and how what DNA you grab from your parents is funny and how most of the people on my daddy's side of the family are real dark, but have Ashkenazi Jewish in their bloodline. Um, and um, how my mama, my mama people are light skinned but do not have, and from the Midwest, but do not have a drop of Native American or Indigenous American blood in they, in they running, coursing through none of their veins, not none. But what we all do have um, is a lot of Nigerian blood coursing through our veins, as well as Ghanaian blood um, and Southern Bantu uh, blood coursing through our veins, of course, with other communities. Um, I've talked about that and you can go back and listen to those episodes, um, out of Africa, Wichita, Kansas and out of Africa, Monroe, Louisiana. Anyway, I talk more about that. Um, and I know that my, uh, DNA picture has changed over the years as more people have gotten into the pool. I've also been connected with more cousins and things like that. And I just, I, I say all of that to say, I take this moment, not only to 
celebrate the history, the rich history of black Americans who made a way out of no way in spite of and who now have an opportunity to reach back and really follow those traces and to be able to go beyond the, the to the degree that we can, because let's be for real, genealogical records for most of us are just like mine. They stop at the ship. Many of us stops at the ship. Um, we might have an ancestor or two that they said was from um, Ethiopia, from um, another place, but um, yeah, or from another country that they can pinpoint, but by and large, the majority of our people, the records stop after a certain point for black Americans, descendants of black, black American descendants of, of um, folks who were taken in captivity. And that's what it is. And that will never change. But what has changed with the, these DNA um, opportunities to test your DNA, you do need to read the fine print and you do need to be careful. But what has changed is the opportunity to at least know where the majority of your bloodline comes from and then make a connection based on that. And what I know is that on both my mom, and and here's the other thing, some of these DNA tests will be able to tell you what within a certain amount of, uh, of, within a certain percentage of accuracy, um, how much of your DNA you got from your mama and how much you got from your daddy. And I was able to look and it was so cool to me to be able to see how that thing shook out. And regardless of how it shook out, both my mama and my daddy have a lot of Nigerian blood coursing through their veins, have a, have, uh, their blood or their, their veins have a lot of uh, Ghanaian blood and Southern Bantu blood in addition to other countries. But anyway. Um, and so I announced to my family, or at least some of my family members, some of my siblings that we're going to Ghana, we're going to Nigeria. We just got to get the thing together. And I said, get your money together because we fixing to do the thing. And I mean that, um, my daddy has embraced traveling more than he ever has in the past. We've always been travelers, but my daddy has really embraced it because some things have happened in his life. I think I've shared that before that when my aunt passed, my, my daddy and my mama took care of, nursed my, my aunt, my mama's uh, sister, owned to glory in their home. And if you've known anyone that has nursed someone who, whose home has turned into hospice for a loved one, that experience changes you. It almost would, if you think of it, if you're at the start of someone's life or the end of it, that has got to change you in some way. That is a very, that moment, those moments, that time, that's got to be wild. I don't know how, you would have to have a certain, you have to be built a certain way, have an emotional stamina, a certain emotional stamina to be a doula, midwife, whatever, and also... Um, a hospice nurse, doctor, whatever. You have to have a certain, you have to be built a certain way because both of those points in life are very um, delicate, to say the very least. And everybody around them are delicate too. Um, and so anyway, so having gone through that moment, that that period in their life, it was about, it lasts about two and a half months. 
um, of very little sleep, lots of worry, very little eating, and then for it to be finished, um, changed the both of them. My, my mama and my daddy changed them in ways that I think are good. I think it allowed them to appreciate life better in, in that immense hurt and pain that was born out of the loss of a loved one that they both, that was my mama's sister. My mama's the oldest. That was my mama's sister. My mama said she was there at her birth and she was there at her, at her death, which is a mind trip all on its own. I can't even imagine for all the people who were there for present for somebody's birth and present for that same person's passing, you didn't seen so many things. I can't even imagine what your outlook on life is, what your outlook on the world, on our universe, on being is, because you've been there from start to finish. Likewise, for every partner who's also been there, who's also maybe not what there in the beginning, but have had lived life with a person and then were there at the end. Do you know the special type of y'all see the world differently? You do. You see it differently. And I, and I honor that because the strength and the spine, the emotional stamina to be able to look that in the face, those two points in the face. I know people who would never be present at a birth of anything because they're creeped out by it. And that sounds funny, but it's legit. And it's on the same, it's this other side of the coin of people who would never be present for somebody's passing. If you could. And my people are, my parents are built different. They just, they just, they're built a little different than some people, but but for how life shook out, I think both of my parents would be in the healing business, like um, medicine. I'm sure that they would both be in that because of their fortitude. Anyway, so the experience of, of ushering my auntie on to glory um, changed them at so much to the point now they travel all the time all the time they got to get up and go this pandemic was a mother for them because especially my daddy who I mean this is a man that worked on the railroad so he used the railroad as a way to see the countryside and the country he lived in the country but I'm talking about the United States and my mama you know military uh, military family she's used to moving a little bit um and so Keeping these people sat down and they both retired, keeping them sat down in one space was just was just rough. So anyway, my, my dad and my mama are geeked to travel abroad, you know, and do different things as long as we don't end up with how we did it in, in Canada, not really being sure if we can get back in. We got to do better than that this time. Um, and I, I'm going to get my duckies in a row um, so that we can do that. Long story, it was COVID. I think I shared that. It was COVID and it was touch and go there for a second because the borders were looking like the borders were about to be closing. And, and in fact, they closed the borders the week, a week later. Um, so, you know, God's timing is divine. Anyway, um, we can move on. Long story short, I, while I was in, um, while I was visiting my family down in Louisiana, I don't know what, Monroe, I'll just say it, Monroe. Um, cause I, I got a whole episode talking about Monroe. 
So I went, when I was back in Monroe, um, not quite Monroe, but Monroe's a big place, so I can say that. We went to a, a town on the outskirts of Monroe um, to be at the, to visit the gravesite of many of my ancestors. I'm talking, I got people four generations removed from me buried in that plot, which is a big deal if you consider my daddy lived on the plantation where his mother, not far from the plantation where his mother's mother picked cotton. So that's my dad, his mama, her mama. Oh shoot, I can go back further than that. Her mama, her auntie, that's five. <coughs> That's at least five generations, actually, of stones that we know. I saw some stones, <coughs> some headstones from the eighteen, from the late eighteen hundreds that were there. So post, um, post emancipation, um, where their birth was like eighteen seventy something, eighteen seventy eight, eighteen eighty something. Um, I think I saw one that was 1888, family member, some sort of a relative. Now, mind you, in this particular portion of land, not all of the people that are on there, I've said this before, but not all the people that are, that are buried here are connected to my people, but it was the people who were lured down to this farm to be sharecroppers on some old you gonna get all of this land and, and this corn gonna be big as your whole body and the pigs, please, they gonna be so big. Only come down and know that they were just regular size ears of corn, regular size um, pigs and cows. And they were gooped because they only got like less than an, like a half acre. And most houses, most of the houses, that's a fun fact. Most of the houses that you see today, especially if you live in the city, are on half acres. That's essentially how much property your house sits on is a half acre. And so unless you are blessed with the bounty of having a little bit more land and then maybe you got three or four acres. But why does that matter? Because if you got a whole family of like 10 people, you trying to plant enough food, enough crop, to be able to grow vegetables and feed your livestock off a half acre and you got like a 10 person family and that might not even be the most choice land. Come on, come on. That was, that was, that was sharecropping. They, they sold them on a bill of goods so much. So you, that's how you got my ancestors, my ancestors that were from North Carolina bumped. They, as soon as when emancipation hit, they left the plantation in North Carolina and bumped out to Louisiana thinking that they were coming into this new, like, again, they went South. They were up further North in the South and they went further in the deep South because they were gooped into thinking that this sharecropping thing, I'm going to be my own person, but I'm going to be make my own money and I'm going to be able to provide for my family. And they made a way out of nowhere, just like what we do. You know what I mean? Like it was a little town that has still survived to this day that was predominantly black. Um, it still survived to this day. And there are millions of them like them across the country. 
of black folks who've created these spaces because they were pushed out of other spaces by, um, anyway, they were pushed out. Anyhow, um, so I went back and I got an opportunity on Christmas day to just sit and breathe in the same space where my ancestors, who I can, who are on my genealogical map, had been. The way I believe they are not there, their bones are there. They themselves are not there. But to, when my daddy was there, and I recorded it, but I've, I've struggled back and forth on whether or not I wanted to include it on this episode, and I've ultimately have decided that I don't want to. There's just certain things I want to keep to myself. But one of these days, I'm going to, um, I'll sit down with my daddy and probably make it a part of, I'll have a podcast episode with my daddy, where we're just talking about hearing his stories because I want to make sure that they're documented. Daddy is a, my daddy is a, my daddy is the family griot. He's one, on his, in his family, there are like eight griots. I am tight with one of his cousins who he was darn near raised at to be a sibling. Uh, but that's his cousin, first cousin. Um, we are tight and I don't even know how it happened. I think her personality is so similar to my dad's in a lot of ways. Like she's a very, she's pushy as all get out and I love her like a lot. I, and, and to be honest with you, I'm drawn to pushy people because in my core, I'm a pushy person, I think. And anyway, I just love the battle. I love the struggle. No, not the struggle. Do I? I think I do. Anyway, but I love them as people because for every bossy, strong-headed, mean person you've ever met, dig a little deeper. They are softies. Complete pushovers. You just, you gotta be, you gotta be cool. You gotta be cool and get through the muck and most people don't. Most people just stay on the periphery because they get scared away, but it's a facade, y'all. It's a protection. And if for all my psychologists and, and clinicians, you're probably diagnosing at the moment, but like it's probably born out of trauma, if we're honest. It's a trauma response, um, a way of self-preservation and protection, but because people are cruel out there. But nevertheless, if you could just sit with them a while, they let you on in. And anyway, homegirl, I feel like I, homegirl was sending me food recipes. Anyway, I'm finna start, I'm gonna circle back around to that woman. She do not talk on the phone like that. She texts. She's very quick, but I love her. I love her. I love her. I love her. Like, I'm gonna get her on um, recording, record her memories as well. But I'm also gonna record my daddy's. Because um, when I tell you that's, that woman is like his sister, it's silly. For the, I, they had to tell me that they were not brother and sister for me to get it um, when I was a child because the way that they it carried on with each other, I just, that was daddy's, that's daddy's sister. Anyway, um, but you know how family is. Like, you really don't know what, who, especially in a black family, but probably I imagine it's in a lot of families where you really don't know the ties unless you ask questions. Because um, if you were born, if you are used to fellowshipping with huge families, the lines are blurred. You really don't know who's who. You just know we all related somehow. And the how is really irrelevant. Um, it's just that we're related. Anyhow, but um, one of these days I'm going to dig in and tell a story, but I will share this. 
when we were on the 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 site, we were on site in the enclosed uh, cemetery, which my family had to fight for. P.S. What you need to know is some of the headstones, which should not be a surprise to you, some of the headstones had been defaced or they're not even there. Why? Because somebody was bulldozing over the space. And so we lost a lot of headstones, but you can tell that there was a person interred there because of there's um, the way that the ground looks. There's some sink uh, depressions, depressions in the land, and they are about the size of a coffin. And it's on both ends of the space. And so anyway, I imagine if you had the right tool, you'd be able to see through in the ways that you can see through the ground without digging it up to see where um, a coffin is and where it isn't. One of these days I would like to, with the permission of my family, um, get some, um, some team in there to help us excavate and identify who, or number one, identify where all of the graves are. Um, and two, begin to identify who they are because the way the cemetery is set up, it's like families are buried near each other. Family members are buried near each other. And so there are a lot of our family members that are buried there in a line. Um, and our matriarch and patriarch have a headstone, a beautiful headstone that the family is paid for. Um, they were 14 and 15, I believe, when they came on out to um, this little community where they are now interred. Um, what a story. But that's like five, that's like five generations back. At least. And if my math is funny, it might even be six, depending on how you look at it, because I might need to go back to anyway. Um, but let me tell you the story my daddy has shared with me. So um, we were in the gravesite and I was just recording and trying to get my thoughts together, deciding what I wanted to share. But I know that every time I go back to, to um, this little town, I'm always going to visit, I'm always going to visit um, the cemetery. Always going to, because not everybody has that opportunity. That's what I really wanted to say. In a time where we know in the 70s and 80s, probably 60s, 70s and 80s, but definitely the 70s and 80s, and sometimes even the 90s, what we know is, even here in Baltimore, black cemeteries were paved over, destroyed, gravesite, gravestone, headstones defaced. Even today, we're discovering whole cemeteries that were paved over in Baltimore, one of the blackest cities in the United States. I know that there are whole smaller communities. Shoot, we know that Central Park was a black community before they uh, forced everybody out and paved over everything. We know that Lake Lanier was a black community. It was a black, there's a black community that's buried under the waters of Lake Lanier. And that's not even unique to those areas. It's all across the country. And so I don't take it for granted that I can go and find some of my ancestors right there in the cemetery. And I'm talking about 1800s ancestors. And I can do the same in Kansas. Now, mind you, I can only go to a certain point. The slave ship is where, where we end. And unless I can get hold to those records of the white people that are in my family, Esanogo, I stop at the slave ship. <clears throat> and so that's why the, the, the bloodline piece matters to me because 
There's just certain places that there's certain questions that will never be answered in my lifetime. But anyway, so we're standing in the cemetery and daddy looks over in the distance. And this is not the first time that he's told me this, but this time he said it, it felt different to me that one of his aunties, that's how daddy say it, one of his aunties, he looked off into the distance and he showed me a tree line and in the tree line that exists today, he said in that, in those woods, that uh, I had an auntie that lived in those woods. She lived separate and apart from everyone else. And I always wondered, I had always wondered why she lived out in the woods. Thinking back on it now, she probably lived out in the woods for the same reason that many women separated themselves from the rest of the family. She was probably like a whole host of things, but she probably practiced a different faith. She was probably, um, who knows? She was probably a queer woman. Who knows? Who knows all the reasons why she would set herself apart, but she was nevertheless set apart. And she was such a powerful presence in my daddy's life that even what? Daddy's in his 70s, so 50, 60 years, probably after she was separated from him in this mortal plane, you know, she passed away, that he still remembers that she used to live over there and that he used to go visit with her. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this particular woman was one of the women that made him feel most comfortable being a part of the family. And there's... You listen to Out of Africa, um, Monroe, I might, I think I talk more about daddy's piece of the story. Um, and again, I might have him on the podcast and, and we just talk, generally speaking, because his story has a whole lot of trauma in it. It also has a whole lot of healing in it. My mama's story has a whole lot of trauma and healing in it. I've talked about, I've talked about colorism in their family um, and proximity to whiteness or them desperately not wanting to be connected. Again, my family wanted so very badly not to be connected with whiteness at all that they never even considered that their light skin came from anything other than indigenous Americans. Which doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud, but they were so invested in not being connected in any way with white culture or white people that they would rather believe that their light complexion came from being uh, indigenous bloodline than white bloodline. When if you literally look at, that's not how genealogy works. Have you ever seen a black and indigenous person? An indigenous American? They're still very brown because indigenous people are brown. But you know, so they've got some trauma, but there's some, the reason why they work so hard is because they got a lot of trauma. They grew up in Kansas, which at one time was very liberal, but when they were growing up, it wasn't. It was turning into the, where they were growing was very, very racist, very racist and very not supportive of all the work and their contributions. Anyway, you listen to that out of Africa story, that one story that I talk about one of my um, aunts, one of my great aunts, um, and how she met her end is indicative of how black folks were treated and what we had to do. The fact that her, the announcement of her passing 
was in a particular newspaper was indicative of how they were treated. Anyway, just, just, you know, one of these days I'm going to do another, I'm going to do a part two of that and maybe I'll do it. Who knows? Maybe I'll do it around June. I don't know. I won't hold myself to it, but I'm definitely going to do it again. Probably in the new year. And I'm doing it in 23. I just don't know when. In the meantime, I'm, I'm saying all of that to say, obviously my, my interest in genealogy has been renewed. Duh. Um, I'm going to keep digging. I got a lot more digging to do on my mama's side of the family. Um, particularly her daddy's side of the family, her mama's side. I didn't enriched, enriched. Well, that's what I would normally say. I, I have gone very far back on her mother's side of the family because there are better records. Um, on her daddy's side of the family, I think there are more secrets. I'm just being blunt. And so I got some more work to do. And so I've got a renewed passion to go dig on into that. But speaking of genealogy, um, genealogy is the tie, or at least the catalyst for the plot of the invitation. Um, I don't know if this is a remake or whatever it is, but it's certainly an interesting story about where genealogy will take you. It is, it is at once a cautionary tale and, and also an opportunity to reconcile or at least what reconciliation might look like, um, (laughs) in a different way. Just so in the next segment, what I'm going to do is give you the particulars as I, as I typically do. And then I'm just going to talk about this whole thing and I'm going to spoil it because you should have at this point, it's been out for like a week and a half or so. It's been out for a little bit, but so I'm going to spoil aspects of it. So you don't want to hear spoilers of the invitation. Um, Go back to the Out of Africa series and listen to those episodes until you watch it and then come on back. Um, But in the next segment is all about the invitation. Okay, let me get into it. So, The Invitation, 2022 Horror Mystery, with a runtime of an hour and 44 minutes. Um, released August 26th in the United States, directed by Jessica M. Thompson. Box office is 33.7 million. But what's the production cost? Where's the production cost? Oh, you lying to me. Distributed by Sony Pictures. Um, cinematography by Autumn Aikman. Music by Dara Taylor. Um, oh, the budget was $10 million. The box office was 33.7. So it made its money back, but you cannot say that it was a smash. And then, of course, they moved it to Netflix. So anyway, stars Thomas... Daughter, Darty, as Walter DeVille. Who did he play? Oh, he played in Gossip Girl. Anyway, um, Natalie Emmanuel, who played who plays Evie, who has been in a bunch of stuff, but you may m- many people may know her best as um, what was her name? And hold on. Game of Thrones, but what was her name? Dang it. 
don't remember her name. I don't remember her name or her her character's name. Anyway, she was in Game of Thrones. Um, Stephanie Cornelison, who plays Victoria. Alana Bowden, who plays Lucy. Hi, Hugh Skinner, who plays Olivia Olivia Alexander. Sean Pertwee, who plays Mr. Field, who you saw in a bunch of different stuff, including the Batman series on American TV. Um, but these are all English um, actors, I think. And yeah, that's all. I hope. That's the only people I want to talk about. But the main people I'm going to stay talking about is Walter Deville and Evie. <clears throat> okay. Um, the plot is after the death of her mother and having no other known relatives, Evie takes a DNA test and discovers a long lost cousin she never knew she had. Invited by her newfound family to a lavish wedding in the English countryside, Evie's, Evie's at first seduced by the sexy aristocrat. However, she's soon thrust into a nightmare of survival as she uncovers twisted secrets about her family history and the unsettling intentions behind their sinful generosity. Okay. This currently sits at 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 25%. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, 45% Metacritic, 48% of um, users like this, or Google users like this movie, of which I'm one. I liked it despite all the plot holes and pitfalls. My initial reactions on this thing is that <clears throat> it's attempt to, it's at once a, uh, a, uh, an admonishment of the way that white people use white guilt. It's an admonishment of white guilt and how people use white guilt as a way to kind of excuse just weird behavior. I, I guess is the best way of putting it. It'll make more sense as I go into it. You, but 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 to be fair, it's like the it's like the person that says I would have voted for Obama three times if I could have, like. That's like a side effect of white guilt, but like using it poorly. You know what I mean? And like white guilt, that feels like it's a phrase by someone else. But I guess this movie is kind of predicated on the manifestation of at once white guilt gone wrong. And then also (coughs) a touch of get out in that. And actually, as I'm even saying this, I don't even think they meant, I actually don't think they meant any of what I'm about to say. What I just said, the white guilt part, I don't think this, this movie intended to, um, portray that, but it kind of did. And then on the other hand, it kind of gave me get out feels because of Evie and her friend and her response to everything that happened it's like get out vibes, but like a low budget, poor version of get out in that the white people are trying to use this black body, but I don't even think that's what the, the creators intended, but it just kind of came out that way. And so for that, I understand why people were like, this movie sucks. Um, but let me go into Rotten Tomatoes. Cause I really love to dig into Rotten Tomatoes to see the critic score versus the, um, the audience score. And for all of the pretty people who are in this film, and there are pretty people in it, 
and for all the cinematography is beautiful but the the acting isn't bad it's, it's not terrible either it's just the story sucks man anyway so it's 25 percent on the tomato meter uh with 63 reviews from critics and 60 percent um, audience score with a thousand verified ratings and the critics consensus reads despite a very likable lead and a refreshingly light touch the invitation is ultimately too predictive for too predictable to thrill as either a romance or a horror the audience says the invitation comes with some good acting and interesting ideas unfortunately it also takes way too long to really get going I didn't get that but anyway, um, so obviously what they're talking about Evie and Walter, right? So the Lord of the Manor, well, uh, Evie and Walter DeVille, Walter DeVille and then Evie are the two pretty people that they're mainly talking about. And then there's Lucy and Victoria, who's also handsome. And then even Mr. Fields is handsome. Hugh is not so much, but whatever. Um, and so these actors are just pretty people to begin with, right? But when you get into the story, the plot is not too far off. So we have Evie here, who has a black best friend who is played by, let me just name this woman. Let me even see if Google has her name out. Courtney Taylor plays Grace, Evie's friend. Um, yeah, there's a couple of pretty people in here in addition to the leads. Um... But anyway, Courtney Taylor, Courtney Taylor plays Grace, Evie's friend. And so Evie and Grace, we meet Evie. Did I even finish my overall thought of the film? I I thought it it was bad in places that it it was bad in ways I don't think the creators intended. And it was good in ways that were kind of incidental. Like it, it was accidentally like they were trying to make certain parts poignant and make us fall in love with the two lead characters and, and make it a triumphant love story. But it was like the worst kind of love story. It was, it was supposed to be, it's like an anti-love story, but I don't even think the point of it was that either. So let me just, let me just cut to the quick and I'm giving spoilers away. This is in the, the vein of, um, You've probably read it before, but this is a vampire flick. We'll get to the vampire part in a second, but when you watch the film, the reason why I don't get, I don't agree with the assessment that it takes way too long to get going is because there's certain there's a certain amount of setup that needs to happen. But in my opinion, the setup didn't happen. The setup wasn't clear enough, and then we just launched into the the weird stuff that's happening. So let me explain. So Evie is, is in the United States. She's got some people that she's close to. She's mostly close to her homegirl, Grace. Um, Evie herself is a waiter or is in the serving industry. And she is catering. She's a part of the service crew that's catering this hoity-toity party. Um, <coughs> she has a moment with another young lady who... It's clear that the both of them would not be in this job, but for the fact that they really need some money because they are doing other things. I think her friend is like something wants to break into. Actually, I don't know what her friend wants to break into, but we know that Evie is an artist and she's a starving artist. And we get the sense that her co-laborer server friend 
um, is also just doing this for a check because to try to make ends meet while she pursues something else. And so we get the sense that um, this catering company that they work for is a little bit sketchy, but they're going along with it because whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't have the greatest night. The people there are kind of rich and snobby and, and, and the event that they're having is unveiling something like a genealogy test, testing sort of thing for these rich elite hoity-toity people. And anyway, so at the end of the night, Evie and her co-server, um, are packing up and they're trying to get the heck out of Dodge or get away from their, um, their boss who has already threatened them that they could be replaced at the drop of a hat, uh, for wanting common decency, like more breaks and, and some special allowances that you were, don't necessarily consider to be special anyway. So they're commiserating and, um, her friend, Evie's friend, who is a co-server, um, swiped one of the, the swag bags and in the swag bag included a DNA test. Evie goes home and whoop, whoop, whoop. She's at home and she decides to take the DNA test. The backdrop of the, uh, or the rationale, at least the catalyst for the rationale is that her mother has recently died. She no longer has any living kin in um, the United States. She feels alone in the world. So she takes the DNA test in the hopes that she will be connected to more family, that she will learn who, who and where she comes from. She takes the test and it's, and it's kind of set up just like um, Ancestry.com in that you send off your swab to a lab somewhere and then you, you connect your DNA kit that you've now sent off to an online account. And um, there's some time passes, but when you get the results back, you don't get them in an email. You don't get them in the mail. You literally get them in these, this new online account that you've created with Ancestry. And so she gets this account and then she sees... At once she sees her entire tree and that she's linked to so many different people and she gets a spark of excitement. And then instantly she gets an email from someone who proposes to be her cousin. And in fact, it's verified that he is her relative and that she's got relatives in England. And so he proposes to meet up with her. Evie's friend Grace is like, no girl, don't do it. You just go meet some random stranger off the, off the internet. We don't do no stuff like that, but she ends up meeting him anyway. He turns out to be a, a posh, uppy, a posh kind of fancy English person who at, at least feels, it, it helps her to feel safe that he is embracing her as a long, as a cousin. He's not making it weird that she's black and he's not and that they don't have any black relatives in the family um or that they've known relatives in the family but her um and so they're having this conversation that if you take a pause for a second if evie is in, if evie is not an english actor like this woman is an english actor but if she is black american this conversation is more awkward than a little bit because she at least gonna spend the first 10 minutes telling this white man from the uk how awkward it is that uh, you've found a brown leaf on this white tree and vice versa. And they would spend some time commiserating with that, but whatever, we, we, we skip past that because again, this wasn't written by black Americans. This was written with someone who don't, uh, who clearly don't have the historical and, and cultural context of what being a black American really means. Um, and some of the pitfalls that, not pitfalls, but some of the things that if you were black, you would just instinctly, it would be a part of your conversation. Anyway, 
So whoop, 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 they're having a good conversation. Again, Evie, who is at before this point was completely alone in the world, is now feeling not so alone anymore. And cousin, her cousin, is is making her feel good about being a part of this family. And so not only that, but he's like, boom, come on with me to England. There's a wedding where all of the family will be there. This will be a perfect opportunity for you to meet your whole family. And that was the weirdest proposal ever because in real life that would never happen. Number one, number two, um, Evie would never go in real life or maybe they would like, maybe Evie would go. Maybe anybody else would go. Just feels really awkward. My first meeting of you is boom, we're online. I'm gonna tell you this. I've been linked with on ancestry, several people who have, uh, a, a certain amount of blood connection to me. I haven't met anybody online that I haven't met in real life first. And I don't know that that streak is going to change anytime soon. I'm connected to a bunch of people, but I'm only visiting with folks back and forth who I know in real life or who I've had an opportunity to meet in real life through a family friend. Now, will that change with me one day? Maybe, but not this day Um, because people are weird and it matters not that we share blood. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, to me, uh, my safety is, is paramount. Anyhow, so, but we're going to dispel belief for a second. And, and, and Stevie, after ha- uh, um, Evie, after having a conversation with, with Grace, who warns her to be cautious, she's like, man, shoot us, whatever. Let's go on to the UK because Okazo is footing the bill. So he does that. Um, she goes to the UK. She instantly comes to this manor. And again, because she has the server background um, and they're preparing for a wedding. Um, you know, she runs into these servers and she's chopping it up with these servers who accidentally break some glasses or whatever. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And there's this weird exchange where she's defending these servers against this clear, this head butler or whatever, who's being rude, which is in the person of, is, is played by, uh, Sean Pertwee, who is Dr. or Mr. Field. Um, and so anyway, it's a bit of a stiff exchange here, but whatever. This is the opportunity that Evie has to be introduced to Walter DeVille, who is the Lord of the Manor. And I must say that his introduction here, he's comes across or he's presented as a very just hunk of a man. At least that's what we kind of get that he kind of glides into the scene. He makes complete eye contact with Evie, which by the way, like I know people have an aversion to eye contact. Sometimes it feels a little too personal, but baby, there's nothing more attractive than person. And and it could be completely platonic, but for me, direct eye contact is the way to go, baby. Um, cause my husband did that before he was my husband and baby defenses fail. And maybe I'm just a sucker for that. But anyhow, um, a baby made eye contact and I said, this man fixing to be mine. Anyhow, no, not initially. Cause I was trying to, anyway, that's another story for another day. I'll bring him on and we'll talk about it. But, um, anyway, baby do give good eye contact. You know? Anyway, so, um, so he's getting eye contact. He's making his chin all strong and stuff. He, and you know, he looking like he's trying to be built a little bit anyway. And so Evie trying to, you know, still be Evie is like, you know, she's trying to keep hard. She's trying to keep her heart. You know what I mean? 
Um, she's not trying to go out like no punk over no man because he's the lord of the manor and he's fine. Anyway, so they have this exchange. Whoop, whoop, whoop. He, he glides off. You know how you know how somebody who's handsome or who's attractive, you know how they get you. They, they know when they got you and then they glide off so that you don't get too, you know, don't give you too much, but give you just enough to keep wanting, you me, to satisfy, you know, wet your appetite a little bit. Anyhow, that's what he did. So he leaves out. And she whoop, 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 gets uh, strewn around the, the manor, whop, whop, whop. Um, she gets escorted to her room, blah, 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 blah. Um, oh, I've missed an important part. In the beginning of this whole thing, there's a woman who escapes. Um, and it's assumed that she's being told by this man that she needs to eat soon. And you get the sense that she doesn't want to eat the thing. Well, she says she doesn't want to eat the thing that she's being told to eat. And you kind of deduce, ooh, it's something salacious or something forbidden. And that's the start of the little vampire-ness. And then we flip to meeting Evie as a server. But anyway, so we go back. And when she goes into the manor, she's being escorted to her room. We walk past the same places where this woman had been earlier who actually she hung herself. Um, and anyway, so we see the rope marks where she did that. And, um, you know, we see a painting of her. Um, we're told that that was his late wife. She's looking young and beautiful, but she's gone. Um, uh, the, and by his, I mean the Lord of the Manor's late wife. And so um, Evie's like, oh, that's so sad and blue, blue, blue. So she's in her room and she's bedding down and she's getting, she's getting, um, adjusted. And while she's talking, she's having a conversation with her attendant. Cause apparently in this manner, everybody has attendants. She particularly has an attendant, an older woman, um, who's ten, who's seeing to her and making sure that she's comfortable in her, in her room. Meanwhile, she's looking out the window at Walter again, who is just happened to be outside her window directing things and still being handsome and attractive. Oh, by the way, did I say that his shirt was half unbuttoned, darn near to his belly button? Who walks around with their button-up shirt? Unbuttoned, darn near to your belly button. You might well take it off. But anyway, here he go, walking around, being him, you know, being attractive and blots his blue, blue, blue. So, of course, oh, girl, is at the window, girl, about to fall Throw it, honey, because he's fine. Anyway, you know, she's trying, again, she's trying to keep her heart, but her her resolve is wavering a little bit, you know what I mean? Because he's fine. Anyway, um, I have a theory that he knew that she was watching out the whole time and he was just trying to be at the right place at the right time to keep him on her mind. Anyway, but like, she's interrupted, but she has this conversation with her attendant um, who at once, you get the sense that this woman is a nervous Nelly. Like, but like, there's a reason for it. We just don't know what the reason is. As a viewer, you get the sense that her attendant is a nervous Nelly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Evie is so struck. I was about to say something else, but so struck by Walter that, um, you know, she can't, she, she doesn't have the opportunity. She doesn't give herself the opportunity to interrogate the actions of this woman. Um, or why she's behaving the way she is. But anyhow, so she whoop, whoop, whoop. She has, she's bought clothes, obviously, for the affair, but Walter has decided that she need, she need her some other clothes uh, for this reception that's about to happen. And again, she is there for a wedding. 
And so this, this, she's under the auspice that she's there to both at once attend this wedding and then also get to know her family. Um, and so there is a cocktail reception that's fixing to happen. And so Walter sends her a beautiful dress, backless dress, mind you. It's just got little strappies in the back. Um, <coughs> anyway, so Evie puts it on and she glides down uh, beautiful as ever. That woman, Emmanuel, what's her name? The actress, Natalie Emmanuel is gorgeous. She's that's just a beautiful woman. Anyway, so she glides out in this beautiful old garment. And anyway, so um, she comes out and, and everybody's just kind of walking or standing around because they're out in the garden. And you get the sense that this is like the summer or at least early summer, so it's not super cold. Um, it's not super hot either. Um, anyway, so she's gliding out and everybody's... Um, She's there and, and looking for Walter because, again, she knows she looking good, okay? She got her hair pinned up. She knows she looking good. She's trying to catch Walter eye because she's like, you, I, I ain't finna be the only one over here drooling. You finna drool over me. You didn't pick this dress out. Let me, I, let me, let me show you how I filled it out, huh? Anyway, so, so she over there with her little drink and her two-step, and she over in the corner, um, not the corner, but you know, outside in the cut, waiting on to, to get a glimpse of him so she can show him what the dress looking like. Anyhow, he comes out as the Lord of the Manor and instantly, and this kind of gave me pause at first. I, the very first time I saw this scene, I was like, mm, this feels forced, but whatever. So Walter comes out, comes through this, uh, arch that's been created by the, um, plant life or whatever. And he instantly starts searching, like, like he's trying to find something. And whoop, 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 he's searching, searching, bam. Eyes land right on Evie, looking like a treasure, looking like the gold, looking like the prize, okay? Anyway, and makes a beeline to her. Now, mind you, at this point, he's still looking, chest covered up at this point. That's so sad, but chest is covered up at this point, but he's looking good. Anyway. Makes a beeline for the prize, baby. And, you know, she trying to play a little bit, but at the same time, he like, uh-uh, because he looked like he hungry, too. So he goes to her. And um, she has, I told you she had a drink in her two-step, but he takes the drink out of her hand. It's like a champagne. Takes it out of her hand, and <coughs> um, everybody begin. first off, all eyes were on him immediately when he came through, right? So that was a little bit odd, but again, he's the, he was told that, uh, we were told that he's the lord of the manor. Um, and so whoop, whoop, whoop. Of course, everybody, all eyes are going to be on him. Dude is super rich. Dude is super attractive. And, you know, all of that. So, of course, all eyes are going to be on him. I'm about to pop another mint because I don't want to start coughing everywhere. So, if you hear little sounds, my bad, it's the mint. Anyway. So, I, there I go smacking. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So he makes a beeline for her. All eyes are on him. He goes straight to Evie looking like the prize in her dress. And so honey takes the champagne glass out of her hand, sets it down and says, we fixing the waltz. It's customary for why is she was like, why is everybody looking? And he's like, it's customary for um, the Lord of the Manor to start the dance, do the first waltz or whatever. And he was clearly, he's like, you, my dancing partner looking like the prize. I didn't, I'm claiming my prize. And so anyway, so dancing, dancing, whoop, whoop, whoop. Um, every, he, they start to dance and baby, when I tell you there's a breath's width away from each other, a hair's width away from each other. 
because that's how close Walter has pushed up on Evie. And again, Evie was trying to keep her heart, but it's hard when the fineness is that close. You know what I'm saying? And that that d- direct and determined. You know, not not at this point, nothing weird has happened. It's just he's being pretty forward, but he's fine, and she knows it. She 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 sees him as being fine. She knows she's fine. So it's whatever. So she's just going with it. She makes sure though. Pause. They are not related. And in, in they're not related. She asked that after she was caught. There was a little dinner or whatever before this reception. And she asked him, she asked her cousin, the one that she had, the, that she initially met off of the um, geneal- genealogy site, if they were related. And, and he was like, oh no, y'all ain't related. Mm-mm. You're related to a lot of people here, but you're not related to him. And secretly, she's like, boom, cool. Because I'm finna climb that tree. Anyway, so um, so flash forward, they're on the dance floor. And they are dancing like two long-lost lovers, baby, that have been separated by years. Anyway, he whispers, he's like, you want to get out of here? And the universal phrase of, we finna get into something. So let's go, let's get, we need some privacy for what we finna do. And she said, oh, eh. and then she tried to play like she didn't want to go, but she went because duh. Anyway, so they go off and they go to this looks almost like, um, what is it? A uh, greenhouse. It's almost like a greenhouse. It's probably like a, a solarium or something like that. Like a, what's this? I can't describe it anything better than a sunroom. I don't think I have the language to say anything. It might be a solarium. It's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's something like a sunroom. But it's like a, a house adjacent, like off of the main manor. Anyway, they go in there and chopping it up, whoop, 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 chopping it up, chopping it up, chopping it up. And girl, so they get close as duh. They sneak off. And then he, you know, doing the thing where he rubbing his, running his finger up and down her arm and whatnot, being all sensual and, and stuff. And then, of course, they kiss, whoop, whoop, whoop. And then, girl, wouldn't you have, wouldn't you know it? Oh, he's forward at first. And he's like, so when are you going to kiss me? Because they've been making eyes at each other. And he's like, so when he asked her when he, when she is going to kiss him, which I thought was pretty cute. And I think it was supposed to be pretty cute in the writing that uh, very modern that a man would ask a woman to kiss him, you know, trying to turn that cliche on its head. And I thought it was cute. It was a, t- it was a cute enough touch. Anyway, so they have the moment right before they're about to kiss, the fireworks go off and Evie's like, man, this is cliche. And he's like, do you want me to stop the fireworks or do you want these lips? And so obviously he doesn't say that, but that's what his sentiment is. And so obviously they kiss very passionately. And while they are kissing and I'm talking about going after it, honey, I think they were both trying to steal each other's tonsils, honey. They were going after it. Anyhow, in the distance, in the window, you see, um, a woman that is very beautiful. I think it's Victoria. Yeah, Victoria, or her tall, beautiful self, um, peeping through the window like a creep. And you're like, girl, what's wrong with Victoria? Oh, also, here's the thing. There's something I, I missed. So at, before uh, Walter saunters into the place, um, Victoria is cornered, not Victoria, but Evie is cornered by Victoria and Lucy, who... 
you get the sense that maybe they're lesbians, maybe they're a couple, or maybe they're just really best friends who are just, they're, they're bickering like an old married couple. They're both beautiful. And they both know, they see that Walter has taken an interest in Evie, and they've seen that Evie has taken a little bit of an interest in Walter. And so the, the uh, Victoria starts messing with, with um, Evie a little bit. But Walter tells her to chill. And, and, and like the way that he talks to her, she gonna listen. Victoria gives you the sense that she a grown woman and it don't take much or it's gonna take a lot to intimidate her. But whatever that a lot is, Walter is time enough for her and he's not, she's not finna cross his boundaries. So anyway, flash forward to them being in this lair and they're making out Evie and Walter and then creepy old Victoria creeping through the window. Anyway, and that's the second inkling that something wild is, 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 is afoot. And boop, blah, blip. So the evening is over. Evie goes back to her room. She's in her... Oh, no, I missed a part. So in the daytime, in the daytime, um, when Evie meets Walter in the beginning, they have that little um, interaction. And then Walter comes and checks on her. That's how he keeps her on his mind. uh, Or him on her mind. Um, Before the garden party, before the salam, Um, she's talking to Grace after she's settled in, talking about everything, including seeing this fine old Lord of the Manor, who she's like, oh, he's my, he's our age. So whoop, whoop, whoop. And then conveniently, knock, knock, knock. Um, and she opens the door in her PJs to find old Walter again with the same shirt on, buttoned, uh, buttoned open almost to his belly button. Um, and anyway, so whoop, whoop, whoop. They have this exchange. He's leaning in, doing the whole chin thing or jaw thing where he's making himself, his jaw look more square and whatever, leaning in close and and whatnot. I'm about to cuss. Anyhow, um, and so they have that moment and then flash forward to the evening um, where she has dinner with her relatives, her actual relatives, and then she finds out that she's not related to Walter. And then flash forward to the next opportunity they're at the garden party and then the waltz and then the solarum. And then she goes back to her room and she's having these nightmares. And then she sees these visions. She wakes up from a nightmare to see something like a vision in her room or whatever. And then she's freaking scared. So she runs under the bed. Um, cause she's not sure what the heck is going on. And then she sees something moving, trying to get her. And then something snatches her by her feet from out from under the bed. And it's Walter. And not only is it Walter, but it's Walter without his, um, he's just in a tank top looking very muscly and attractive. And she's in her PJs too. And it's dark in the room and he's looking around. He's like, I don't see anything. I don't see me. Also the, when this guy is talking, he's talking barely above a doggone whisper. So you got to kind of lean in a little bit. And it's all a trick. It's all a, a, a man trick. Try to get anybody whispering to you all the time keeping their voices hurt. they're trying to pull they're trying to get you to, to get closer okay it's a trap don't fall for it keep your heart it's, don't fall for it anyway um 
So he comes to save the day, really doesn't know what he's saving her from. And she's like, well, I just can't go to sleep. And so he's like, well, do you want me to stay with you? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Of course, yeah, uh-huh. How convenient. Here you come. Anyhow, he's like, I heard you screaming. I had to come. Um, anyway, so her attendant, actually, it wasn't just her. It was her. It was Walter and her attendant that had come. Her attendant had cleaned up what was broken in the room or whatever, because I guess she broke something in, in, in the, during the fright. And Walter excuses her, and then he stays, and it's like, do you need anything? Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Walter ended up laying next to her in the bed. And they don't do nothing. They just laid up. And she has this this dude tell, I was about to say Negro. He did, um, she, this white man, um, she has him tell her a story to, to, to lull her to sleep and whoop, 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 and all of that stuff. And I'm like, girl, what? Anyway, so she, he laying there still looking fine. Um, fully clothed, just laying next to her on the bed. She falls asleep. She wakes up, um, and he's gone and it's a new day and they're moving on because the wedding, the rehearsal dinner is that night. And so whoop, 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 you know, she's moving around, learning stuff, doing stuff. There's whole, there's other parts of the movie that's happening, but I'm focusing on Evie and Walter. And anyhow, um, but I do need you to know that there are things that are happening with, um, that there are things that are happening with the, the servants, um, that are of note, but you need to watch it to understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, so whoop, 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 we move along and she sees something somehow or another, she finds information on his desk. She finds her way into, into his private room his private office where she sees her DNA profile on his desk and she's instantly mad. So she gets, she starts packing up her stuff. She's like, I'm fixing to go. Um, and then of course, surprise, surprise, here come Walt in this big old, the thing about it is in this big old manner, the Lord of the house is always coming to your room when you always at the right time, huh? That should have been alarm. Alarm bell should have been going off, but whatever. Let's keep moving. So she's in her room, in her robe. Oh, she's in her robe because earlier that day, um, she was at at a spa. She was having a spa day with the bride. Um, and the uh, Victoria and Lucy were there with her and Victoria creeped her the heck out and blah, 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 blah. And so she leaves and in a fit, she goes and stumbles into Walter's office and finds the DNA information on her. She was not looking for that. She was looking for other creepy things, but she ends up finding that her DNA profile. And so she's like, boop, I'm out. I'm gone. This is too creepy. Your friends are creepy. Everybody's creepy. I'm out. And I shouldn't even be here at a wedding of people. I don't even know. I don't care that we're related. I don't know y'all. So she out, she's, she's packing and here come Walter fine behind walking in saying, I'm sorry. I just wanted to know who's going to be sleeping under my roof. And that's why I had your profile and all that stuff. I, Big old lie. Don't make no sense. You needed my DNA profile. That's you needed my DNA profile to to know me better. When you literally could have just run an investigation without my DNA. Like it, it, your my profile is what led you. Okay, whatever. Anyhow, so whoop whoop whoop. Of course, they end up passionately kissing, and then of course they end up making love, and they're laid there, and um. 
there's a moment where Walter was like, I just can't believe we have so much in common. We go, we go so well together. She's like, yeah, we, we get, we get along together. You know, that she agrees. Evie agrees that there's some connection there. And he's like, why don't we just get married? And she's like, um, what? Because who says that? What in the world? I've met you a weekend and you want to get married. That's a no for me, dog. That's a no. Anyhow, but whatever. Evie's like, oh, I'll play along. Yes, we'll get married. Mm -hmm. I'll marry you. And then he gets up and he's got a, I'm talking about ear to ear grin on his face and he putting his shirt together. And Evie's still laying in the bed talking about, you know, we just high off the love making, right? Like, I'm not serious about this. Oh, fine. Oh, um, Walter going to turn back around her with a Cheshire cat smile and just smile and then walk off. And she's like, that's eh, whatever. I would not be in, I would not be feeling yes, whatever at this point, but whatever. So whoop, whoop, whoop. She's getting herself ready to go. She didn't decide it, um, that she's going to, um, go to the rehearsal dinner and he didn't put her in a red gown. You hear me? I'm talking about blood red. Uh, no, cherry red. No. Ruby red. A ruby red gown that, again, looks beautiful on this woman because it was made for her, it feels like. Anyway, she comes down and everybody's dressed to the nines. And she's coming to this dinner and it's like something like a masquerade ball or whatever. And everybody's mad, including Walter, because everybody is seated at the table, but Evie, but here come Evie. And then instantly Walter's face brightens up and she comes and she sits next to him. He goes and gets her and sits her next to him and they start talking and, and he's talking about how beautiful she looks and all that and blah, blah, blue. And then, um... She asks where the bride and groom are. If this is rehearsal dinner, where the bride and groom? Girl turns out the bride and groom are her. The bride is her and the groom is Walter. He wasn't joking. Um, Long story short, vampires. That's all I want to tell you. Anyway, the way it ends is kind of wild. Um, it, it literally ends with Evie, like upsetting the apple cart, meaning that she, she thwarts all the plans that Walter have, which Walter is not his actual name. I'm not going to tell you what his name is cause you got to watch it. But anyway, um, yeah, Walter is not his actual name. Um, uh, Victoria and Lucy are more intimately connected to Walter than you, than the, the, at first met the eye. And there's a whole piece with that. Um, and excuse me, turns out the woman that, that killed herself at the beginning of the film is Evie's relative. And there was a reason why Evie was chosen to come out. So again, that's why I say some of the themes like the um, using black bodies and um, the complicated relationship black people have with ancestry and all of that is you just needed some more black Americans and, and people a part of the diaspora that were part of that conversation and in the writing room because 
There's just certain things that you would have known had you had some writers that had that background. You would have known that these were some natural in, um, situations that would have popped up in the typical uh, uh, <coughs> many viewers' minds. There's just pieces missing here that, and they're missing on accident. Like clearly, it's just it was missing in the writing and the and understanding of the of the situation in the writer. And so anyway, so there's a whole lot happening here. And it's like a slow burn. It's not a slow burn for me. It should have been Walter. This movie really should have been Walter wooing the heck out of Evie to the point where Evie is like questioning her whole life after this man. It should have been like that. They had all the makings for it. The guy that played Walter looked good. He was looking good. Everything about him was looking good. He was right for it. They had the right characters. They had everything set up right. It's just they mushed it too quickly. So when the people, when reviewers are saying, oh, they tried to mash this up too quickly or too, uh, it was too slow getting to the movie. I think not. I think it could have been, this should have been a series. This would have been better suited as a series, not a movie. It's and and it happens. It always happens this way, right? Like, um, Octavia, Octavia, uh, Butler's, the adaptation of Octavia, Octavia Butler's Kindred could have been a movie, but is better suited as a, as a series because you can do more with it. There's more to unpack. And I, I can vibe with that. It's just, unfortunately, because they made it into a series, they added, they embellished some things that shouldn't have been there, but you always have pitfalls with that. Um, there's always pros and cons with the medium that you end up using. But in this context, it really should have been a series, not a movie, because in my opinion, you rush too qu- quickly to the end. And this end could have been more satisfying if you'd have drawn it out and you made Evie more connected. It's not enough that you make love to him one time unless he has entranced you or something. You know what I mean? Like it only works if both of them cannot physically live without each other. Like Walter initially was gooping her, but like what have been a, what would have been a greater turn is if he made her, if he is, if in trying to goop her, he fell in love with her, like for real. And it would have been a better, it would have been more tension and a better story. If, uh, Evie truly fell in love initially was mesmerized by, um, Walter, but then actually fell in love with him after she found out what it was. Um, yeah, it had all the makings of a really good film and I still like the film. Um, it's just, I wish the writing were better. That said, watch it for yourself and come up with your own understanding of what you think this thing should have done. Um, I'm eager to hear what other folks think. Follow up with me if you will. But yeah, that's that on that. Um, yeah, so watch it or don't. But like, if you watch it, I, I'd love to hear from you. But anyway, um, yeah, like I want to hear another story like this, but like done better and maybe a, a TV series. Anyway, that's enough. I've talked long enough. Um, listen, listen, listen. It's the end of the year. You've you've had a year. Take stock in the things that you've done. Take th- stock in the things that you've overcome and look forward to newness, um, to new opportunities. It doesn't. You don't even have to wait for the new year to start relishing in those new opportunities, but it's a perfect excuse, right? Um, 
In the meantime, do something fun. Thank you for listening to this show, but like do something fun. Do something fun for you, something that is specifically about you. If you want to, you can continue listening to the episodes that I've created. I have several years worth. Um, And I've been doing this almost every single week, except for a couple of breaks here where I just literally needed the break. Um, Because sometimes I don't have the benefit of pre-recording a lot of my episodes, although in the next month or so, I'm going to have a lot of mostly pre-recorded episodes um, so that I can have some room for myself. I always use this holiday break to try to get ahead on a lot of things that I want to do. And this podcast is a thing that I want to do. So you're going to hear the content of what, like the, the, the major topic that I'm talking about will be pre-recorded, but the intros will always be fresh. Um, because that's what I want to do. So anyway, you'll get that. Um, I've watched a lot of stuff over my break and I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, the Witcher blood origin, I'm, I'm talking about that. I've obviously I saw, um, uh, Oh, glass onion. I'm going to talk about that. Um, there are some documentaries, uh, leading into black history month that I want to talk about, um, with the origins of, of black culture and and stuff like that, that I want to talk about in the midst of talking about other things. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff that are coming up in both January and February that I need to prepare for. I got personal stuff that's coming up that I just need to be in a better space for. So I'll be, um, like I said, my, my, uh, my next uh, episodes will be mostly pre-recorded, but the intros will be fresh every week. So anyway, um, thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for liking, um, and leaving, uh, positive comments. Keep the negative ones. I don't care. Um, rating this show favorably four or five stores, if you please sharing this with anybody that you think might dig it. Um, I appreciate you for being a part of my community. Um, I appreciate being a part of a community of people putting out content that's similar to mine. So I appreciate you. I don't take anything for granted. This is still something I enjoy doing. So I'm gonna keep doing it until it's no longer enjoyable for me. But right now it's pretty fun. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. You were the only you we have. So take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening until next time.